0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We're going to have a guest speaker today and next week, uh, and I'll I'll tell you who that is in just a second, and then next month, the month of August, we're going to be starting a new topic because we always take topics by month, and so if you're looking forward to August, the Sunday School topic will be conspiracy theories. (laughs) It's like this really... It'll be like an elective, yes. fun, weird topic. It'll be a weird I've month. I've been waiting um, for this day. So anyways. But this month, we're in a very fascinating subject of talking about free will And predestination, Calvinism versus Arminianism. And so, Bobby, why don't you come up here? This is my good friend Bobby. He's on staff here. Um, He works with the local ministries department, and so he uh, helps people, takes care of people's needs. Um, And uh, we live together for a little while, so we're like close buddies. Um, And it's a great honor and privilege to listen to Bobby. He's a a philosophical major, philosophy major. I'll let him introduce more of himself. Um, Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Nicholas.
1: Thank you. Hello. Joe, uh, Joe's so good at playing like he doesn't know what's going on, but he actually knows more than all of us about most things. So that's something I like about Joe. Uh, Thank you for hanging out and being at the Mill Sunday School. My name is Bobby, and uh, Joe asked me to teach this, this lesson, and I sort of reluctantly said yes because the topic to me is a good one and, and one that's worth thinking about considering. And there are so many other things we like to talk about. So to start, I want to use this analogy of a ship. And there are a lot of analogies you can draw when we're talking about predestination and free will. And a ship is one that Tozer, A.W. Tozer, offers us. And he says, Life is kind of like a ship that leaves a port and is destined to arrive at a certain place sort of like it's sovereignly governed by someone to go there. So that's maybe more of the predestined view. And the people are free agents to roam about the ship freely and make their decisions as they will on the ship as they're going to the place that was predetermined for them to go. So I just want to open with that analogy and remind us that there are two types of issues we talk about at New Life Church and at Mill Sunday School. Joe's done a good job of helping us see that some of these are open-handed issues that we hold lightly, we're not going to kill each other over. Some of them are closed-handed issues that we would say, outside of this, it's maybe uh, outside the bounds of what we would call the Christian faith. So, to recap, I want to start with some closed-handed issues. Just remind us the things we agree on, the things that aren't necessarily up for debate within this context or this room. Things like that there's one true God, Jesus Christ, that God is three and God is one. However you can rationalize that. That God is good. God is the creator, God gives life, God is love, God is eternal, God is just, and on and on and on. So rather than a prayer or something like that, I thought we could start by saying the creed together. You guys like the creed? You down with that? All right, so I'm, I'm going to start to read, and then if you would, please read with me, and I'll change the slides as we go, and this is how we'll begin, okay? Here we go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is. Who has spoken through the prophets? We believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So, Lord, thank you that uh, we have this pillar that we can go and ground our faith and ground our doctrine back to. And God, we invite you into our hearts and minds today to speak to us and to connect us with you, Lord, the source of life. And I pray that you would be in our minds and, and be in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone screamed! Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, this is a guy. His name is Hans Urs van Balthasar. Anyone, anyone ever heard of this guy? Hans Urs van Balthasar? He's, a, he's an amazing theologian and a pretty cool guy. He was a Catholic priest in Switzerland, and he was actually a cardinal of the Catholic Church. But he died right before the ceremony. So he was appointed a cardinal of the Catholic Church, and then he died, so he wasn't a cardinal after that. Uh, But he said something, this is a quote from him that I want to read, to kind of set the stage for the conversation of predestination and free will. So um, today, let me just say something. I, I would encourage you guys to engage with your mind. This conversation of predestination and free will, it's kind of mind-heavy in some ways, or it can be. It can get into debates, it can get into intellectualism, and I think that's good. I think that's cool, that we're using our minds in that way. So I'm going to throw some quotes out there. I'm going to throw some ideas out there today that might tempt you to disengage your mind for a second, but no, don't do it. Keep tracking. Keep going with me, because I think that's a, one way we can really, really interact with God, is through our minds. Make sense? Okay, here's what this says. Hans Erz von Balthasar says, Hell is to be contemplated strictly as a matter which concerns me alone. As part of the spiritual life, it belongs behind the closed door of my own room. From the standpoint of living faith, I cannot fundamentally believe in anyone's damnation but my own. As far as my neighbor is concerned, the light of the resurrection can never be so obscured that I would be allowed or obliged to stop hoping for him. And I really like this quote because I think uh, both Calvinists and Arminians could agree with what he's saying here. Maybe it's the case that our neighbor uh, is not one of the elect from a really strictly Calvin perspective, but I would argue from our posture of humility as Christ followers, that's not something we can ever certainly for surely know, that God is so far, or people are so far beyond God's reach. And from the Arminian perspective, um, we cannot fundamentally believe anyone's damnation is true except for this little line, but my own. And this is, this is what I love about this quote is it puts us right in front of the grace of God for us individually. Anyone who's ever experienced this thing that happens where God's grace becomes so real, you almost want to push it away because it's like, God, I, I'm not worthy of this. This love you're offering me is not, it's not fair. I'm, I'm so bad, it's not fair. And you sort of see your sin in front of you and I think that's something the Holy Spirit has to do. He has to open your eyes to our own depravity. And um, we see that. And out of that posture, we receive God's grace, or he brings us into his grace. And from that place, we see, man, maybe everyone's in this situation, but at least me. I don't deserve this. This is a beautiful miracle that God has called me into a saving knowledge of who he is. And for me, I can go out into the world with that. So I like this quote. That's what I'm going to start with. So we're talking about an open-handed issue today. Uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, free will versus predestination. I remember wrestling with this kind of thought, and I'm pretty much still wrestling, and I always will wrestle with this thought, I think. But one way this manifested in my life was I had a pretty serious girlfriend in high school, and I had my life pretty planned out. I was going to not date ever, and then get married when I was like 28 or 29, so that I could play really hard during my young twenties. I wanted to climb mountains and go fishing and invent stuff and all that. So I was for sure not getting married. And then all of a sudden I had this uh, girlfriend who I really was in love with and wanted to spend a lot of time with. And I took a trip to New Zealand. I was there for a few months, travel around. And when I was there, I was asking God this question, God, is she the one? This is my wife, Brooke. I said, Lord, is she the one? Is she the one you have predestined for me to be my wife? Because I know there's One that you have chosen, and is it her? And I kind of wrestled with that for like a year. Is it her? Am I going to make the wrong decision if I marry this girl? I thought I was going to be married later. And uh, the conclusion I came to as a result of prayer and listening and all that, I I wouldn't say God spoke to me per se, but the conclusion I came to is, if you marry her, she will be the one. (laughs) What do you know? You get to choose your wife so if you want it to be Brooke, choose her. And if you don't, then stop dating her. (laughs) And so I had this decision, and I chose to marry Brooke. And this is a picture of Brooke. We went on a little trip to Wyoming about three weeks ago. This is where our campsite was. And uh, I really wanted to fish in Wyoming. It was right over a 4th of July weekend, and we decided last minute, let's go to Wyoming. So we jumped in the car, Brooke and I, and we drove to the border about Till we were about to fall asleep, slept in the back of the car, drove the rest of the way to Jackson Hole, Wyoming the next day, found various campsites, made it work, ate out of the cooler, things like that. And I really wanted to fish. Jackson Hole area has a lot of great fishing, the Green River. I love fly fishing. Anyone in here fly fisherman or woman, fly fisher woman? Yeah. It's nice, isn't it? Sometimes when I think about predestination and free will for too many days, I have to just go fly fish for a while and then I come back and everything's fine. And that's kind of what I was wanting to do was just get some good time on the river. So we got there the first day and for 2 days straight it rained really hard. And all of the rivers turned terribly murky and and muddy and you couldn't even see I remember picking up water like this and I couldn't even see my ring through my hand in the water, right? Like there it was that unclear And I was pretty mad because I really wanted to fish. So one day uh, I told Brooke, I'm going to go on a little drive and I'm really going to try and find some clear water and fish. And I drove and I drove and drove, and I finally found this stream that pooled into the bigger river that was perfectly clear. And I guess the rain missed that section or it wasn't muddy or something. I'm not sure. So this is a picture of me fishing and you can see how clear the water is. It's beautiful. There's rocks and fish, and you can watch them swimming around. And about 50 yards to my right is this. And you can see the river feeding into the other river. And this actually isn't a picture of that, but it's a similar representation. I didn't think to take the picture of it when I was there. But the clear water is running into the muddy water, and it's kind of this uh, jumbled mix. We can't quite see through it, and just up the way is clear So, that's where we're going to go now, is into the muddier water of the river. That's why I tell that story. I think we said the creed. We're fishing figuratively in the clear waters of the Nicene Creed and the close-handed issues that we believe in one God, Jesus Christ. And now we're going to wade into some of the deeper, muddier water. So, here's a discussion question. All week, or month rather, we've been talking about these points and I've been listening in and attending middle of Sunday school and we've talked about Tulip and Matrix and Joseph uh, or John Calvin and uh, you know all these guys. So you guys have some things to work off. So here's the question for you. What are some points that are distinct to either predestination or free will that are easier to accept? These would be like what I call the strengths or the benefits of this type of perspective. Some things are really hard. That's not what we're asking here. What are some of the strengths or benefits of either Calvinism or Arminianism or predestination or free will? Does this question make sense? And we're going to try and come up with a list together. Okay. Ready, set, go. Okay. What are, what are some of your responses? What are some of the responses? Joe is coming around with the microphone. And uh, I would like to hear what are some of the strengths or benefits or ch- ch- things that uh, are easier to accept or agree on from either the Calvinist or Arminian perspective. Here's Aaron Higgins. Uh,
2: from the Arminius perspective, uh, the free will, that's the turnkey issue, uh, that it's, it's a strength of being able to participate in a two-sided relationship.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. He, he said from a free will perspective... You can participate in a two-sided relationship it's more of an exchange between you and God I like that it's good um, from a Calvinist perspective there's a lot of the
2: um, there's a lot of strength in the sovereignty of God um, mm-hmm. that even within Arminianism there's the balance between um, having like free will and your choice as well as like the sovereignty of God but I think that
1: there's just this fullness of that God is sovereign and he like He's in control of everything. Yeah. So she, she said from a Calvinist perspective, the sovereignty of God is... That's a good one. It's kind of nice to think that God's in control, huh? Get that tattooed right here. God is in control. <laughs> I think another benefit of Calvinism is that...
2: I just lost my thought. <laughs> that once you are saved the thought process is you can't lose your salvation by being right. bad. It's like you've, once you've gained your salvation, you're walking that relationship into eternity.
1: Yeah. From a Calvinist perspective, once you're saved, you're in. You're always saved. That's comforting. That's nice. Okay, one more maybe. All right. Uh, we got, we got one oh, we got one. Okay, good.
2: Unlimited atonement is pretty attractive. The fact that God died for everyone in... Contrast to God only died for the elect.
1: Got it. Unlimited atonement. From the Armenian or free willers side, we would negate the U in tulip from the Calvinist perspective and say unlimited atonement. It's unlimited. All people. That's good. Here's something that I wrote down. Um, the predestiners or Calvinists might say, if you're chosen, you can't resist it. So if you're one of the elect that God has called to be grafted into the family of believers and the kingdom of God and all of that, you don't have a choice. You're in. His grace is so irresistible that you are going to say yes. That's kind of nice. Uh, God saves some. I put this as a plus because one argument I think Annie Tuttle helped us understand this that the miracle of one salvation because we're all so totally deprived from the predestiners' perspective. We're all so totally deprived. The fact that God would even allow one person into his presence, that's amazing. That's a miracle. So that's something that's positive and easier to accept. If you're chosen, you're in. You can't get out of it. We, we've talked about that. From the free willers, Arminian side, we can come to God. I think this is a—we were talking at this table that there's a little bit more, um, more say that we have in the game. We have some autonomy to come to God from the free will perspective. We all have a shot at salvation. The Arminian free willers would interpret the verses that say God desires all people to come to a saving knowledge of him to mean every individual rather than all types of people, Jews, Gentile, Chinese, American. They would say every individual. That's, that's good. That's a positive. And we have a responsibility in the plan of God. That's kind of nice to think, too, that God is working and cooperating with us. We're partnering with God to rule and reign in the here and now and also in the kingdom to come. Here's why I put these things up here. As Christ followers and professing believers, I think it's important that we can articulate these things clearly enough. And at least be able to say, well, this is kind of harder to grasp from my perspective, but it's what I believe. Or this is one thing that maybe is easier. It's positive. It's a benefit of the perspective I believe is true in the Bible. Because sometimes when we have this Calvinism, Arminianism, free will, predestination debate, it can get really aggressive quickly. And that's okay, but maybe doesn't reflect the uh, posture of Jesus as much as some other ways of doing things. So I'm hoping to recap some of the things you guys have worked on together this month. Here's the next discussion question. Whoops. Uh, How do you switch that back? What are some points that are distinct to one perspective or the other that are more difficult to accept? So the opposite of what we just said. All right? Ready, set, discuss. All right. let's, Let's share a little bit. I want to be clear. These are not necessarily negatives, even though I have a negative sign up there. These are things that are maybe harder to wrestle with, harder to grasp. So... Uh, Joe, help us out. What are some things that are harder to grasp from one perspective or another?
0: Aaron Higgins has something to say.
2: That God has predestined people to hell.
1: The fact that God has predestined people to hell, that's kind of hard to grasp, right? Sure. Sure. Sarah Erb.
2: Um, One thing that some people in my family had a difficult time with who were more on the Armenian side was that God would let even the worst of the worst still get into heaven if they were like the once saved, always saved kind of category.
1: Okay. All right. So if you are one of the elect, but you're just a bad person, that's kind of hard. (laughs) Um,
2: I think that one of the things that makes it hard to accept both is that they kind of Limit our, or limit the way that God can work within our little rules and our little constraints that we make for Him. So I think that it's important to kind of look outside the, the box of which category he, God fits in and how He works and how He makes us work in this world. Because it doesn't necessarily um, work out according to just, oh, we always just choose God or we are always on a path that God chose for us. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that's
1: my thought. Good. Thank you. Last one.
2: I think from a Calvinist perspective, um, you know, if God has already predestined the way that you have for life, and if you, if you kind of grasp that, then no matter what you do, you're kind of stuck on that track. Um, yeah. Even if you try to rebel, then you're still going the way that you were predestined.
1: Right. Right. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, does this help us a little bit? To be able to put to words or put to more tangible concepts the last two weeks of Mill Sunday School a little bit, I think repetition is good. So here's some that I came up with. You guys said a lot of these. Um, From the predestiners' side, you can't come to God, He has to come to us. Um, An example of this might be a friend of mine I know. He is a pretty prominent figure in Colorado Springs. And uh, he does so much good for people. He, he really has a heart. And he told me, man, I want to be a Christian so bad. I just can't. I want to believe in God. I just can't. I can't do it. So that's kind of hard to think about that from the Calvinist perspective. Um, salvation is limited to the elect. That's one I thought of. Uh, you guys also said double predestination. That's what Aaron Higgins said, that God has predestined people to eternal glory with him, and he has maybe, contrarily, predestined people to eternal destruction. On the other side, the free willers, you can lose your salvation. That's sort of hard to think about. Backsliding. We have to choose. That's kind of hard to think about. Maybe um, that puts a little bit more pressure on us to accept this free gift. That's something that is difficult. And then, is God sovereign and loving? Sometimes a Calvinist would say, uh, if God's sovereign, then the sovereignty debate gets in here. And um, the free willer says that God would let people reject him. And that might be kind of hard to rationalize. Here's a painting. It's from the Reformation time. And it's called the French Ambassadors, 1500s or so. This is by Hans Holman. Here's, here's why I want to talk about this painting. Is um, There's a lot going on here. And it's meant to depict that these two guys are learned, there's an arithmetic book, there's some navigational tools, and can anyone, do you guys see that blurb on the bottom of the screen, kind of looks like a paint smear, can anyone tell what that is? What's that? It's a skull, can you guys see it? These painters were playing with this technique at the time where they would look at something from an angle and uh, paint it that way. So there's a skull randomly slashed at the bottom of the screen. Some people think the painting was meant to be viewed from like over here as you're going up the stairs. You would see this scary skull. But the other meaning the skull has is despite all of these guys' riches and fame and clear wealth, uh, they're still keeping in mind that they're going to die one day, (laughs) that they're mortal beings. And hidden up in the Uh, Top left-hand corner is a little image peeking around the curtain, and it's a crucifix. little tiny crucifix sitting there. And the crucifix is, you know, there's debate about what it's meant to mean, but I I show this picture because in light of this conversation we're having, we can talk uh, intellectually about all kinds of things, including free will and predestination. We can talk about navigation or arithmetic or music or literature. And in the end... We all are going to die this life, at least one day. And in the end, Jesus is still going to reign and make that decision. So let's move forward with that. I want to I present to you an analogy. We're going to sort of transcend theology and talk more about ways of thought, ways of thinking right now. Can we, can we hang with that? We good? Imagine Joe and I are living together still in the same home, and we're sitting on the front porch, and we're looking at the sky, and we're both just pondering the beauty and vastness of the sky, and it almost feels like the sky is pressing in on us. Like, this is such a special encounter we have. It's beautiful, and it's vast, and it's kind of scary how far up the sky goes. Like, for billions and billions of light years away, the sky goes. And uh, it's wide and deep and kind of changes, but it's the same, and it's consistent every day. The sky's there, and I say, man, Joe, the sky is just so blue, and Joe stops in his tracks and says, um, the sky has white clouds in it. And I say, ah, this, but the sky is so blue. You can see its blueness. It's blue. And he goes, well, the sky has white clouds. I'm telling you, there's white clouds in the sky. And you see where I'm going with this here. Uh, trying to kind of break open the idea of the sky is blue or the sky has white clouds. Maybe both can be true. And likewise, you can imagine a situation where the sky was all blue. You could also imagine a situation where the sky had all white clouds. So I set that up as an analogy to segue into a guy named Ferdinand de Saussure. I think I've talked about him before. He's a philosopher, and he kind of helped us learn about semiotics. Does anyone know what semiotics are? It's a study of, study of signs, signs and symbols, semiotics. And he gave us this really nice tool right here. The signified and the signifier. Now, I, I really do think we encounter God when we use our minds. So hang with me here, because I think this is, this is fun for me at least, and I hope it is for you. The signified and the signifier work something like this. There's a sign or a symbol, and then there's a meaning or an interpretation. So you might have something uh, that is meant to point to something else. A sign that is in itself just a symbol, but it tells you something different. Here's some examples. This is the one... Fernandez de gives us, we have an image of a tree, and then we have the word tree. And the word tree isn't actually a tree, right? It's just the word, but it automatically conjures in our mind this image of something that is real, something that is tangible, the tree. Here's another one. What do you think of when you see that? Bathrooms. Yeah. You're not thinking black and white with circles and shapes. Your mind automatically associates the symbol with the meaning, restrooms. How about this one? Clearly it says on the fourth day of the, I I don't know what it says. It's hieroglyphics though, but these are a bunch of symbols and some mean day, some mean night, some mean anger, happy, but they're all symbols. They don't actually, um, they're symbols. Here's another one. What does that mean? Go, ready, start, begin. The race has begun. Or is that the end? Oh boy. I'm not a very good, uh, yeah. Oh boy. Semiotics isn't really my thing. I guess. Okay. But you understand this, this has a meaning. You don't look at this and say, black and white checkers, black and white checkers. Your mind automatically goes to somewhere else, which is one lap left, or that's the end, or the winner was just announced, or whatever it is that you guys know that I don't. Here's what we could take from that. The sign represents the signified. The symbol represents something greater. We tracking on that? The symbol represents something greater. And... It's not really about the symbol, right? At the end of the race, people are looking at the scores and who lined up first. They're not saying, did you guys see that flag waving? That was epic. And it was black and white. And uh, when you're reading a book, you don't typically go away from reading the book talking about the T's were just crossed in such a way that was beautiful. You're talking about the narrative, the story as it flows in and out. So here's some implications of what we're talking about. Here's a little illustration for you. Um, a stop sign is what Fernandez Saussure would call a signifier or a symbol. And we could talk about a stop sign in this way. We could say, oh, the stop sign, it's red, and it has four letters on it, and there's a white border on it. It's octagonal in shape. Look at that stop sign. What a lovely sign that is. But if we fail to transcend to the meaning the sign is pointing to, then we've kind of missed the point. It's not about the sign, right? It's not about the sign. It's about the meaning. But, and, we still need the sign. It's still an essential component of this thing, right? Okay. I think so too. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. And Jesus is continually breaking out of these boxes that have been built up over the years Gently and aggressively, and he's, he's blowing people's minds figuratively, and he's, he's kind of transcending these ideas of meaning and thought all throughout the Old New Testament. Jesus is doing this. He's saying, You say eye for an eye. I say anyone who has looked at a brother with anger has committed murder. What? We had it narrowed down. And here's a verse in John 5 um, the, Jesus has just healed on the Sabbath. He's broken out of one of these walls and the Pharisees are coming after him and they say, what are you doing? They're mad, they're upset, they're ticked. They're looking to accuse him of all these things. And Jesus sort of goes on this rant in John 5. He says, you guys, listen, you're missing the point. And at the end of this rant, he says this, to men who are learned and studied and understand free will entirely, they understand predestination, they've compartmentalized it, they've categorized it, they know how it fits eye for an eye, And he says, guys, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me from heaven. Here's what I want to try and suggest here, is that Jesus is saying to us, to all of us, and to the Pharisees at the time, the Bible is good, you're studying it diligently. And this is the book, this is the word that testifies about me. Yet in all of our knowledge and learning and study and thinking and processing, you have missed the point. You have refused to come to me for life. I might go far, as far as to say the Bible is a signifier that represents a meaning, a signified, an eternal, unfathomable, mysterious, triune God. And we have this Bible to point us towards him we tracking with how this relates to free will versus predestination a little bit? Okay, here's a discussion question. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you, you've studied, you're learned, but you refuse to come to me for life. I, I think one way to talk about Jesus is to say that he is the author of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the source of life. Mm-hmm. So here's your discussion question, and this is putting some practical application to all the conversation we've had in the last three weeks. What is one way I can come to the source of life this week? What's one way I can come to the source of life this week? And, and go ahead and open up your minds a little bit. I'm all about worship. I'm all about worship music. I'm all about reading the Bible. And those might be some of the ways you choose. And I also think... Simply studying the scriptures, the studying itself is a way we can encounter God. The act of this intellectual uh, wrestling and this this struggling, we're engaging a part of our mind that God gave us and created us. And in that, we're participating in the image of God and maybe coming to the source of life in some way. There are artists who can talk about ways they encounter God by painting or by drawing, and just, I don't know what it was. It felt like the hand of God was painting with me. Um, There are other people who go on runs and they encounter the source of life, Jesus, through their runs. So the question is, what is one way I can come to the source of life this week? Or if you don't want to answer that question, you can maybe share, what are some ways I have come to the source of life in the past? What are some ways I have encountered Jesus in the past? Okay, make sense? All right, ready to go. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I would love to hear some of the ways uh, that you guys are going to think about encountering the source of life, Jesus, God, in the next week, or some ways that you have. Does anyone care to share?
0: For me, it's kind of um, one way is what you were saying about running, but it's also being in nature, like running through Ute Valley Park is, or hiking through there. It's a spiritual experience.
1: Yeah. And would you say that's more Calvinist or Arminian? Armenian, okay, got it.
0: That's what we said at our table as well, like exercise, right. at
2: least Kayla did. It's a really good response. Uh, so I just returned from Guatemala spending a week there with uh, Compassion International at their projects. And, and and seeing these these kids and their just unconditional love yeah. uh, that they, they show you. If, if you've ever been to... Uh, and I, I see a few of you from my Africa team uh, from five years ago. and it, We spent time in a compassion project. And the kids, all they want to do is love on you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I would say coming away from that and, and most, it's a very recent past, was spending time with children and, and being able to experience their unconditional love.
1: Yeah. We said that at our table as well, spending time with kids. For the kingdom belongs to such as these, huh? Calvinist or Arminian? Both, Both, okay. (laughs) Both.
0: Um, For me, I was thinking there's there's kind of two um, and they're both in the past and ways that I can do it and one of them is kind of like, she was saying like solitude uh, running, those kinds of things, being in nature. But I also need like community of other people, Um, sometimes peers or people more mature or less mature in kind of their walk and just... um, kind of exploring God through community as well of, of other believers.
1: Right. Good. Solitude and community.
0: Um, I would say that one has been like just understanding that I don't have to always have a structure or I, I can be a very structured person and thinking, okay, I did my quiet time check and I had my prayer time check and all these different things and Um, just being able to rest with God and enjoy fellowship with people. So even doing something rebellious like, last week my husband and I were tired, so we stayed home and we just made Belgian waffles for breakfast and just enjoy a restful Sunday morning. Like, God forbid, Uh, that's what I did, you know, to enjoy the Sabbath. So things like that and not feeling guilty about it. I think that's been a real journey that God has shown me.
1: Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Everyone who's okay. We'll do one more. Yeah. Clearly, what you just shared accentuates the Calvinist perspective. Clearly.
2: I think for uh, I think for me um, in the past, just being a servant and intentionally sacrificing my time for someone else. I love that.
1: I love that. He said, "You guys heard," but he said, "Serving and sacrificing my time for someone else." You know, that, that's a great one. For me, I would identify with that because it like, helps me to not be selfish for just a little while, and it sort of wakes me up to what is maybe more like my fully human self when I'm fully alive in Christ. I like that one a lot. Serving connects us to the source of life in some ways. Okay, I'm having you guys do this and talking about this, not to try and bash Calvinism, not to bash Arminianism, not to bash the discussion at all. I think it's a good, healthy discussion. I'm I'm having us do this to say that as Christ followers, we want to continually be connected to the source of life. And we want to help connect other people to the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. And I think he wants to speak to each of us or to us collectively about these things free destination, free will. They're good conversations. And we want to always not refuse to come to him for life, even though we're diligently studying the scriptures. So I'm going to read something real quick. Uh, This is from a book I'm reading. And it says, Most of the original Protestant traditions, Lutheran, Reformed, Anglican, either developed a vigorous intellectual life or worked out theological principles that could and often did sustain penetrating and penetratingly Christian intellectual endeavor. Closer to the American situations, the Puritans, leaders of the 18th century evangelical awakenings like John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and a worthy line of North American stalwarts in the 19th century the Methodist Francis Ashbury, the Presbyterian Charles Hodge, the Congregationalist Moses Stewart, and the Canadian Presbyterian George Moncho Grant, to mention only a few, all held that diligent, rigorous mental activity was a way to glorify God. And none of them believed that intellectual, intellectual activity was the only way to glorify God or even the highest way, but they all believed in the life of the mind. And they believed it because they were evangelical Christians. Uh, and so I, I want to say that to kind of reemphasize. I agree with that statement that um, the intellectual life and these mental pursuits and these struggles and battles, they're good. It's one way to help connect us to the source of life. So hopefully we can go out and do that some more. I'm going to pray this scripture of you guys and then we're going to be dismissed, okay? This comes from Philippians 3. It says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. So, Lord God, we want to know you. We want to know Christ. Yes. We want to know the power of your resurrection, and we want to participate in the sufferings, becoming like you, both in your death, and also somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. And Lord, we don't think we've already obtained all of this, or we've already arrived at our goal in life, but we press on towards you to take hold of that for which you took hold of for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, let's thank Bobby for sharing this morning. It's good. Thank you. Thank you. So, next week we will continue this subject of predestination and free will. Hopefully this is, for me, I've never spent a month talking and thinking about this, so it's been very fun, and um, I think Bobby's discussion today is like this big picture of who we are as Christians and this, um, let's get out of the the debate mode and get into like, how can we serve and understand and connect with the source mode? So anyways, uh, we're ending just a little early. So meet some people around before you go. And then at 11 in here, uh, the Chinese church is going to meet. So if you wouldn't mind bringing any trash you have and stuff like that out as you leave, that would help them and us immensely. So go in peace. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.